Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man... I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. This is part two of our exciting vaccination episode. It's Sean. It's Nathan. We've got Andre here. Hey, guys. Okay, so we got the full spectrum from vaxxer to anti-vaxxer. <laughs> For you guys who don't remember, to recap, we talked about what vaccines are. If you didn't know, you're stupid. We talked about <laughs> what vaccines are. The different types of vaccines, it turned out. Are they dangerous or not dangerous? Uh, they're not dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and now we got to talk about... Uh, actually, Sean, what do we got to talk about now? <laughs> so we're going to be talking about how vaccines work, how long they last, and also, you know, some of those kind of interesting next generation vaccines that are coming in the near future. If you pay for CBS All Access. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get any more next gen otherwise. Okay, It's the only next gen out there. Oh, wow. That was beautiful, actually. I thought you were being completely random, but next generation, like Star Trek. That was nice. I'm so let's dive right into it. All right, how vaccines work. So we've talked about the different types of vaccines. We've talked about why they are or are not dangerous. Now let's talk about how do vaccines work. Sean, tell me the big picture. Whoa, 20,000 feet up. How do they work? (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, um, broadly, vaccines are supposed to make you less likely to get sick from a specific disease. Okay. And in some cases, when I say less likely, what I mean is borderline impossible. Okay? So, sometimes when you get a vaccine, it would be extremely difficult for you to get sick from that disease. What's an example? Uh, Of a really, really good vaccine? Huh. Polio. I thought polio was the kind of dog shit type of vaccine. Wasn't it like a fucking... It was dead. Wasn't it dead? Yeah, but once you get the polio vaccine and once you establish like through boosters and everything, your immunity levels... Oh, okay. You still need the booster. You're really, really, really unlikely to in the future get polio. Okay? Mm. But that's not true for all vaccines. So for some vaccines... Getting the vaccine makes it like 50% less likely that you'll get sick. I just thought of a great It's conspiracy. like tetanus. You got to get it every few years. Right. But so even beyond... Oh, okay. So for example, let's say the flu vaccine, right? With the flu vaccine, there are enough different strains of flu out there that it's possible you could get the flu vaccine, but it's not for the right strains. And right. so you could still get a flu during flu season getting basically the wrong flu vaccine. And what they do is a year out, they try to predict which strains are going to be the main ones and make a vaccine for that. How do they predict that? Because there's the northern and southern hemisphere. Flu kind of cycles in between the two hemispheres. What? Yeah. 
Well, there's that's a flu cool. season, and F- seasons are different. Ah, yeah. it's like how toilets flush the other way around in Australia. That's <laughs> not actually true, but whatever. Anyway, it's not true. <laughs> no, it's not true. Oh um, no, dude! Australians <laughs> tell me. <laughs> but look, <laughs> did they see toilets flush in this hemisphere? <laughs> yeah, I just heard a guy be like, "Crikey!" Like out of the bathroom. <laughs> He's like, oh, "I'm sorry, mate. I just saw the water go down the wrong way, <laughs> and my shit all went straight up. <laughs> shit goes up in yeah. North America." Yeah, yeah, exactly. The water was going really the wrong way um <laughs> yes so because the flu is most widely transmitted during like the winter and winter slash cold seasons mean different parts of the year between northern and southern hemisphere right so the flu is kind of cycle in between hemispheres and sometimes you can look at what's going on in the southern hemisphere and get a feel for like okay we're seeing a lot of these kinds of strains so like maybe that's the kind that's going to be happening in the northern hemisphere next year and everything and a lot of it is models, computer models, where they're trying to put in data from the previous year. And sometimes it works out really well, and sometimes they're wrong. Like, I mean, it legitimately right. happens sometimes where the main vaccine sort of strains for the influenza don't match up very well with the ones running around right now. Oh. Even so, usually if you get vaccinated, it means that if you do get the flu, you will be sick for a shorter period of time. Okay. So it, it can still help your immune system get ramped up quicker. It just, you'll still get a little sick. Yes. Okay. Yes. But that is to say that, you know, sometimes I think when we think about vaccines, we sort of think about it as an all or nothing type situation, right? That it gives you perfect immunity, right? which is not the case. It's very, very variable based off of the vaccine. And, you know, there are a lot of vaccines out there that not everyone gets. Okay. So it's not like when you go through your schedule of vaccines, you get every single one that we've invented. Yeah. Uh, what's a vaccine that I would not be getting? Tuberculosis. Well, why not? We don't have enough tuberculosis here, and you're too old. Damn. So it's just like if I but get if, it, but I if just you were going to be traveling to a place that does have a bunch of tuberculosis, that would be a recommended vaccine before yeah, you go. Yeah, like 1830s Maryland. Although, <laughs> one thing I'll say is that the main tuberculosis vaccine, the BCG vaccine, has very limited effectiveness in adults. Sure, it's dog shit anyway. Yeah, which is actually a little strange. It's not 100% clear why BCG is most effective in children and is not very effective in adults. Aren't drug-resistant TBs going to be the next big thing that kills everybody? There's so many potential next big things that's going to kill everybody. Yeah. I don't know which one. Four more years. Sometimes things just come out of nowhere. Yeah, like this coronavirus. Fun times. Or like Ebola, like, you know, whatever it was 10 years ago when it first came. When was the first Ebola? Like the 80s? Yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, the first Ebola. was definitely more than 10 years ago. Okay, well, come on. Let's all come. But there, there have been fun. There have been fun outbreaks since then. Yeah, like know? occasionally Ebola will suddenly happen. Like last year or something. Right. right? Ebola fucked up some oh. people. Isn't there still some Ebola in the Congo? Yep. Yeah. Not good. Anyway, there are benefits to the individual person who gets vaccinated, but there's also this concept called herd immunity. And I think that this is a term that's getting kind of put out there more and more as a reason to shit on anti-vaxxers. Right, because a lot of anti-vaxxers want to be like, oh, well, it's fine that some kids get vaccinated, but not my kid. But if you don't vaccinate a certain critical mass of people, then the vaccines won't help, right? Right. So if, for example, vaccines give you like a 50-50 coin toss for whether you're going to get sick or not, as opposed to not having the vaccine and you're definitely going to get sick. Most vaccines work better than that, but like, For this example, let's say it's a coin toss. The more times you have to toss that coin, the more likely it's going to land on heads and you get sick. Right. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah. Yeah. And so it would be best to not surround yourself with people who are also getting sick, right? So the more and more people who have at least some defense, the more likely none of you are going to get sick. 
or a very isolated number of people are going to get sick. And depending on the disease, the number of people that need to be vaccinated to actually confer herd immunity can vary pretty widely. So um, measles, which is highly infectious, you need 95% of the people in a community to be vaccinated. Oh boy, don't go to New York City right now, am I right? <laughs> well, that's why there's like fucking measles outbreaks now. Right. You know what I mean? Don't go to the... <laughs> Plus, the more unvaccinated people and therefore the more of that virus being spread between people means there's more of an opportunity for that virus to mutate into a form that could potentially infect otherwise vaccinated people. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely possible. I mean, besides ones that definitely mutate all the time anyway, like influenza or something, like I can't think of examples of ones where they've mutated away from immunity of like a long standing vaccine. You Not know what yet, I mean? Yet, Not yet. Not, Not yet. Not yet. But I guess maybe I'll toss this in here. I don't know if we were going to put it in a different segment or not, but the whooping cough, the pertussis vaccine, is actually one where we moved to a subunit form. And recent studies have shown that the subunit form wears off way faster oh, interesting. than the previous form we were using in the 90s and earlier. And so we switched in like the late 90s, and we've been finding out from studies that like, oh shit there's like this increase in cases of people getting whooping cough in like their late teens. And it's because their last booster is wearing off like in a year instead oh. of way longer than that, that it was supposed to be. Interesting. So, I'm so glad we were kids in the nineties, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't we're get whooping cough. You said a better time. I mean, but yeah, I guess we probably got the full blown. Yeah. Milosevic is Serbia. What? It was a good time to be a Serbian. God, man, shit. <laughs> anyway, so uh, wait. So, what is influenza? Just really quick question. What is influenza? <laughs> is it just the flu? Yeah. So, influenza is a virus, and the virus, when it infects us, it causes the flu. Okay. So, but I the heard, flu is just short for uh, influenza. Okay. So, I heard influenza kills like a hundred thousand people every year or something, and then coronavirus <laughs> kills like two people. But we care about coronavirus, whereas influenza is like the real deal. So, because influenza comes every year. Unless it does something really different from normal, unless it infects more people, kills more people, we don't call it a pandemic, even though it kills a lot of people. Right. right? It's like the difference between the amount of people who get killed in car accidents per year, which is like a given cost that we assume, and then like some racial minority killing one white chick in Kansas, and then everyone like wants to all of a sudden like elect Donald Trump. Well, so, or, or, or for, for a, an example that's less likely to get cut out of this episode. <laughs> um, you should just beep that whole thing. The, 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 there, there is, for example, a lot, a consistent level of handgun violence in the United States. Right. But every once in a while, you'll see these punctuated events with somebody going on a spree, right? And those get a lot of attention because it is a noticeable event sean that's their second amendment god-given right to mass murder people yeah, if it was a knife <laughs> if, it, if it was a knife it would not be their right but because it's a gun i wasn't they're allowed to, to do it i wasn't trying to take that away from you okay i just but want you to know that all i'm saying is that that's one of the reasons why the coronavirus is such big news right now is because it's kind of it's, it's new. coming it's in novel Right, and it's still fucking people up, you know what I mean? But definitely, I don't think that this coronavirus is going to kill as many people as the flu did last year, even, right? I just am so sick of this corona privilege. It's like, all of a sudden, this corona comes in, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of great great pandemic candidates. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sexy, squeezing lime all over itself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Holy shit. So, Sean, that's how vaccines work on the big picture. But tell me about the molecular string level. 
Tell me about how vaccines resonate. <laughs> so a lot of times when you get a vaccine, you get it either subcutaneously. That's underground. <laughs> right. it's, it's under your skin. Oh. Intradermally, which like means submarine. In, into your skin or intramuscularly, so into your muscle. Okay. And um, I What will, about the ones where they have you snort them? Right. There are what? these other fun ways. Okay, like intratracheal or oral or intravenous. Dude, is that straight through the throat? Or intranasal. Um, intratracheal would be inhaling it kind of like an inhaler, you know, like, <gasps> kind of situation. How about intraanal? Do they have that one yet? Uh, what, like a suppository type of vaccine? I can't think of one, but I bet, you know, that's your next big thing, buddy. Intraureal? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I got my vaccine straight up my dick. Yeah, that's a no on that one. We don't see that very often. Um, but regardless of how you get into the body. That's what they okay. do in Italy. I don't think so. <laughs> you, you like sit down for an espresso and they just, they just like yeah, punch your dick really Yeah, hard. they're like, here's an espresso. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you take a whoop right up there, right up the dick. Nice. Uh, so regardless of how you get into your body, whether it's through the dick or not, the idea is you need to get it to what are called innate immune cells, white blood cells, the antigen-presenting cells, and they need to be the ones that encounter the stuff that you injected. So either the live attenuated or the subunit or whatever. And basically, these antigen-presenting cells are the kinds of cells in your body that would normally recognize a virus or a bacteria or something based off of their adjuvants. So they see the adjuvants, they get really excited, they eat up the antigen, and then they take that antigen and present it to what's called your adaptive immune system. And your adaptive immune system is the one that has memory. It's the one that makes antibodies. Right. It's the one that you need in order to be able to fight off the disease if you ever get it in the future. Right. So you Star Trek, you need adaptive shieldings on the USS Defiant, right? So you could fight <laughs> new fuckers every week. God. With Cisco. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yes. It's yes. like an AI. It's a constantly adapting thinking about new risks <laughs> man jesus christ sure <laughs> but anyway the point is that you need this tag team situation to go on okay so you need antigen presenting cells to pass it off to the t cells and b cells to build up memory and so like we said you know the antigens are the pieces of the pathogen that your immune system is going to recognize and because it can kind of switch around between strains like for influenza it's nice if you can include more than one antigen and then some adjuvants are better or worse at being OFUC signals for your antigen-presenting cells. And so you want to include the right kinds of adjuvants to really set off a strong immune signal. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So vaccines work on the cellular level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's not just on the macro level. <laughs> I mean, basically, Vaccines do things to molecules. Yeah, they do things to cells, and you need to have this yeah. activation. And this activation, how you activate the cells, how you do it most efficiently, this is where a lot of the rational engineering comes in that we're trying to learn the rules. This is what like I did my PhD on. Is and there like a big fight within vaccine creation between the rationalists and the irrationalists? The rationalists are like, yo, man, we got to think about the theory of vaccines, but you're the young guns. And all the old school people are like, no, we must pray. We must pray until the vaccine emerges. I mean, not exactly, but kind of. That's gross. In that, that there are some people who... Because I think it's not so much acrimony as, like, vying for funding. 
right? Right. It's like which ideas get funded the most, get the most money for like the big push forward, right? So there's right. some it's people... It's like how everybody kind of wants to be the not Bernie Sanders in the primary, but no one can <laughs> directly attack Bernie Sanders because then like one of his supporters will just kill you. Right. And so like you gotta, yes. you gotta be like, well, I don't know about Medicare. Right. We're gonna talk about this in a later segment about yeah. like the next stages of vaccine. Cool. Work. So why don't we go ahead and take a break and then we can talk about sort of some of the details on how long different vaccines last and how well they actually work. The following is an actual advertisement. Sometimes the most brutal critics are kids. There's just no filter on them. Yeah, coming in with that naive honesty that they have. I remember when I was a kid and I saw Phantom Menace. Wow. <laughs> Garbage film. <laughs> well, if you if you enjoy movies and you want that kind of fresh take on them, then you should check out this podcast, D&D Movies. Join seven-year-old host Madison and her dad as they go through a wonderful journey, watching all sorts of movies and reviewing them. Shows will drop every Tuesday starting February 18th, and they'll be available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow them on Twitter at ddmovies2. So, Sean, how long do vaccines last and how well do they work? <laughs> Beautiful reading from the notes. Yeah, so this is not a settled question, okay? It's actually, there's a lot of research that's going into looking back at some of these older vaccines and seeing how long do they actually last. And so for currently approved and used vaccines... Aren't you sick of using these Republican talking points, though? What? <laughs> they always work all the time, and we no. must have party unity. For pretty much all the vaccines we know about, their protection percentage drops over time okay and so for some of them the amount that it drops over time it, it seems so low that like you're gonna die first you know what i mean like you're, right. you're just gonna die from something else before it's not effective anymore. okay that's interesting so so when you say protection you're talking about within a single individual's lifetime right. rather than like over generations right 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 so this is for like for you when you get the hpv vaccine Right. How long is it going to protect you against that HPV virus? Like three weeks, man. No. Me, though. HPV is a good example of one that seems to last for a really long time. Long okay. enough to not really make a difference in, as far as human lifespans. Whereas, like, apparently whooping cough, when you subunit it, yeah. works, like, not very long at all. Yeah, and the flu vaccine is another good example. So, we get the flu vaccine, and it's a good idea. I think people should get it. But... After about 90 days, its effectiveness kind of drops off a cliff, okay? And so it is technically possible for there to be some flu seasons that start late, but people will get vaccinated a little early, and they'll actually <laughs> still get vaccinated, but then get sick from the flu later because they sort of missed the right window. Right. Right. 90 days is not a very long time for a vaccine to protect you. Right. It would be nice if we could make a better one. We but are, we're working on the it. flu is too diverse. It evolves too quickly. It just this is what it is. So I think part of the issue is that we're not fully successfully causing the immune response that we want. We're not fully adjuvanting the system. So the immune cells are actually not generating as much memory as we want them to. I think that's the bigger issue here. Yeah. But that's something we're working on. So even after full production fades, it's not like it's not like it goes from 100% to 0% or something, right? This is a kind of a gradual decline. So some of these, that means that we need to have boosters, for example, or in the case of influenza, we need to get it like every season. Yeah, I know yeah. this is a little late, but what is a booster? Booster is just another round of the vaccine. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. So some of the vaccines we get are combination vaccines. They'll have like different mixes of them. And sometimes when you get a booster, you only need to boost 
like two out of the three that you got last time or whatever. So technically it's not always the exact same shot, but it is pretty much just another round of vaccination. I mean, is there a danger in getting too many boosters? Like why not just have it be the exact same shot for the sake of simplicity? Uh, yeah, price. Okay. That's just cost. And, you know, it's when you're talking about the number of people that should be getting vaccinated, everyone, right? Even small costs start to add up pretty quickly. Well, you know what? You know who would bring down those costs for all Americans? Oh Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to negotiate on behalf of all of us. There's the twist. Very good. I'm proud of you. Man. Okay, but I'm reading in the notes here mm-hmm. that like for British white babies, yep. for Anglo-Saxons, yep. the BCG vaccine like gives you 80% protection for 20 years. But if you're in the equator, it's a racist vaccine. It like doesn't even work. Yes. How the fuck does that? Why is that? Why, yes. why are vaccines so racist? Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, well, tell me. No, we don't know. Oh. We don't know. So there are regional differences in how effective vaccines are. and That's fucking weird. And it's a problem. It's really not good. It's a, it's a very bad situation. And that's one of the reasons why, for example, in the lab that I was doing my PhD, one of the things we were working on was a new tuberculosis vaccine. Wow. Because... The current tuberculosis vaccine only works in some people, and some people that it doesn't work for are in places with a shitload of TB. I kind of want to. I want to keep this as honest. (laughs) Like I I don't want to be offensive, but I also want to strip away the euphemisms. Basically, a lot of these vaccines like work in the Western Hemisphere, and for like basically for white folks and for wealthy countries where we develop the vaccines. Yes. And they don't work in sub-Saharan Africa. They don't work around the equator. They don't work in Latin America. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Fuck, dude. And and we don't even know why. Right. Right. We we don't really know why. And it's, you know, it's not clear if it's something about like, even just like ambient temperature during like what season you vaccinate people or something. It seems like there's a lot of variability. And this just boils down to like, hey, maybe we should make a better fucking vaccine that doesn't have all this variability in it. One of the interesting things that we found out really recently, this paper came out this year, was that if you take that same vaccine, BCG, normally you inject it under the skin. But we took some non-human primates and we injected it into their bloodstream instead. And this vaccine normally does not work in non-human primates if you do it under the skin. In the blood... This vaccine was extremely effective. I thought all needles that went into me went to my my blood vessel. No, I, dude. I too am confused about this. I was under the impression that under your skin was where your blood lived. Yeah. So so <laughs> uh, this is actually you know now that I think about this, this is something that took me, a scientist, a long time to really kind of think about and figure out. Your blood, like with the blood red blood cells and everything, stays in blood vessels, the entire time capillaries, arteries, veins. Okay. Most of your tissue is outside of blood vessels. It's on the other side of blood vessels. So... Oh, something's going on. Right. A lot of liquid will come out of your blood vessels and into the tissue. And then that liquid usually gets kind of pushed through channels that go into lymph ducts that kind of get recycled back and added back into blood way, way later and everything. But there's like an entire other circulatory system that's not your blood. And when you get injected with the vaccine under your skin, it's a long time before that vaccine sees blood, if it ever does. Hmm. 
It might never see blood. But wait, it can still so you, circulate. So we got to mainline these vaccines is what you're saying. Why the fuck would you not always mainline the vaccine? Why are some only into the weirdo thing you're talking about? Yeah. So getting intravenous stuff is like getting your blood drawn or getting an IV bag, right? I don't know. Have you guys had that experience before? Yeah. It or takes a little bit surgery. more time and nurse expertise to be able to sure. find your vein and get the right. needle in there properly, right? Whereas like you could just like, boop, just like pop it under someone's skin. Right. Fast. Right. And if that's effective, subcutaneous is way better because of how quick it is. And there's a lower chance, you know, like, oh, you need to make sure everything's really sterile if you're going to be popping it into blood and everything like that. But just like a little alcohol swab on your skin is good enough for like a quick jab, the needle and everything. So subcutaneous is so much um, easier to better. do. Right. Yes. But as it turns out, for something like BCG, at least in non-human primates, it goes from basically not effective at all to suddenly very effective if we switch it to intravenous. Jeez. I can't think of any vaccine we get intravenously. So until now, that's not really been considered an option. Right, but we tried it on some lemurs or whatever. It was like, holy fuck, these lemurs can't get AIDS anymore. Yeah, they were crab-eating macaques, but, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> Do you say crybaby macaques? Crab-eating. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. I don't think it's less funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <they're, laughs> yeah, exactly. Eating up all the crabs. So, I mean, I, I think one of the reasons why for a long time we thought intravenous vaccines would not be a good idea is because vaccines are supposed to excite your immune system, right? So maybe that's like popping you off too much. Right, that you could set off what's called a cytokine storm and that you could kill people. You could send people into fucking shock. Fucking dope sounding, dude. Yes, and people cytokine die from Cytokine storm. People can die from cytokine storm. and so, But like, not good people. What? <laughs> storm only kills bad guys communists kind of storm yeah no so i don't know if that was borne out by any evidence or it was just something we thought and so we never tried it very much but based on this new evidence it suggests hey maybe we don't need to come up with a new tuberculosis vaccine maybe we just need to deliver it a different way i mean what we really need to do is we need to redistribute wealth to the southern hemisphere so that places like Brazil have a proper and functioning research set of institutions. And that way they can develop vaccines that work in Brazil, right? We need to fix global inequalities that so, have persisted ever since sugar plantations. I will say it is actually true that a lot of biology is more centered on the Western Hemisphere. And there has been a very big push as of late to include more people from other areas and that the diversity that comes from them really, really kind of changes our picture of how things work. Yeah, I think it, the assumption has been, I think, within the last at least 60 years, ever since, you know, the initial development of genetics, is that to suggest that there's a biological difference between races, a social construct, is itself racist. But what we're kind of coming to an epiphany is that you need research for people who not necessarily are of the races, that's too broad of a category, but you need research for people who are part of different genetic groups, however we can mark those out, whether vaccine works or not, actually, it is relevant. Yeah, so this is kind of a weird thing to think about, but a limited number of humans left Africa in the first place, right? Right. Like like during the really early human migrations to other areas. It's like all the ugliest people. <laughs> well, it's just, there's a lot of what's called founder effects in that because there's such a limited number of people that did it, their genetics are really skewed 
and actually show kind of less variability because right. they're, they're right. skewed. I mean, that happens with species in general. Right. right. And so a lot of the people in Africa show way more diversity in their genome. They have a lot of other kinds of things going on in their genome. And so when we actually include them in things like genetic studies, we find way more interesting connections to look at. Like there was a study really recently on schizophrenia in African populations. And they're like, holy shit, there's a whole bunch of other genetic shit that can contribute to schizophrenia we had no idea about. Because right. we were only looking at like Europeans hmm. and Americans. So yes, that was a digression, but I agree. We actually do need to include way more people. Diversity is definitely going to be a strength in science moving forward, finding out more information. And President Bloomberg supports diversity. God damn it. <laughs> so, so guys, let's take a break. And after a break, we're going to talk about the next generation of vaccines. What's the exciting, bright future? Some scientists know it as the final frontier. I know it as the darkest, most terrible abyss in which we may yet find God. Join me, Werner Herzog. Into the anus of infinite darkness. Na, 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 na. Let's Fuck. do the next generation oh, of vaccines. Okay. Okay. That was a Star Trek thing. We'll get rid of that. <laughs> okay, guys. So we're back with Petri Dish. We're going to talk about next gen vaccines. What are we going to do with vaccines, Sean? Since we've decided that they're not only bad. <laughs> yeah. So one of the sort of recent pushes in vaccination, one of the new things in the field is called the DNA vaccine. And the idea is that vaccines are supposed to deliver antigen and adjuvant, right? And a lot of times you'll deliver the antigen in the actual already existing form that it's in, which is as a peptide or a protein or something, right? But what you could do instead is DNA codes for proteins. So you, instead you can deliver the DNA and then let cells make the protein themselves. And usually DNA is cheaper than proteins are. But the cell wouldn't just be like, ah, oh, foreign DNA, and then just destroy the DNA. Right, so you, you would... Eventually, the DNA would get destroyed. But usually, there's a set amount of time that you can have the DNA get read and what's called expressed before it's kind of kicked out. For but, a lot of cells, it's about 72 hours. But if you throw in foreign DNA, then the dinosaurs get smarter, right? And then they get all that frog smarts, and then they can break the system. You're talking about boomers right now? <laughs> Touche. Uh, all right <laughs> so so you know in a weird way this is almost what viruses do right and that viruses inject their dna that dna encodes for proteins isn't Those a lot proteins, of our cool thinking right now basically just pretending to be viruses yeah we're gonna get to even more of that later but yeah yeah basically one of the benefits like i said dna is cheaper right, than protein and peptides. Sometimes DNA in certain forms can even be more stable than some peptides or proteins. Some of the issues are that in clinical trials that have been performed, the immune response is shitty. Wait, I want to ask a stupid question. Yeah. Is DNA cheaper just because you only need like, like why, why is DNA cheaper? It's easier to copy. DNA in its structure as the double helix, 
has almost built into it a mechanism of copying it really easily. Okay. Okay. Whereas protein and peptides, we have to make the DNA that codes for those proteins and peptides, put that into cells in a vat, make those cells make the protein and peptides, harvest that protein and peptides and separate it from all the other shit. And like DNA, do you only need like the four nucleotides and then you can basically make whatever DNA you want and then proteins are bigger and they require a bunch of different amino acids? Like Yes, yes. So for example, if you wanted to do it without any cells involved, for DNA, if you have some kind of starting sequence of DNA, like that you borrowed from a cell or took from a virus, you could modify that pretty easily. You can print DNA using the A, T, C, and G. You can print out ones that are about 80 nucleotides long. You can glue them together. For peptides, you're right, there's 20-ish letters, right? So it's kind of more complicated. If you want to build them, it gets really expensive. Usually like maybe 10 peptides long will cost thousands of dollars for just like a milligram. You have to build them one letter at a time and then wash it and build it. You know, so it, it's the very time DNA, much faster, much cheaper. So one of the problems with these DNA vaccines is that in clinical trials, they don't work very well, which is like, that's a pretty big problem. One of the potential reasons why it might not work very well is that, you know, if you just toss DNA into a body and it's not in a nucleus of a cell, it does get degraded. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. The cell is going to be like, that's not my DNA and just destroy it. Well, if it's outside of a cell, it's very easy to recognize that it's not your DNA. Even if it's within a cell, eventually it will get degraded. Unless it's something called a stable transfection. That's really hard to do. Whatever. Anyway. So the point is, you need to get DNA all the fuck way into cells. Like into the nucleus? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And that is a bigger ask than just injecting a vaccine under the surface of your skin. Especially if our initial assumption is like, we need these things to scale. Right. Gotta send it to Africa, baby. Right. So even though DNA is cheap, the technology for getting it into cells is both not fully refined and more expensive. And then after that, naked DNA maybe has a little bit of adjuvant properties, but probably not strong enough to get a very good response. So probably you want to deliver adjuvants alongside it to deliver the danger signal to say the stuff this DNA codes for is some kind of pathogen shit. Okay. So right now it's like DNA vaccines are a cool future that hopefully figure out. But in terms of cost, because of delivery mechanisms, you have DNA vaccines that are really expensive. Under that, you have intravenous options that like maybe we could innovate and would be cool. After that, you have your normal ass vaccine shit. And then after that, you just have quarantine guillotine, right? Where you just like section off and then kill whoever is sick. Yes. Yes. I agree with you. So, and I think, I mean, that's why that's, you know, say what you want about China, man. They figured it out. <laughs> God damn it. So sort of one of the alternate ways or even one that's not necessarily alternate but kind of can move forward with DNA vaccines is using what are called recombinant pathogens or synthetic particles. Synthetic? Yeah. I don't use synthetic anything. <laughs> well, you might need to someday. Dear God. Um, so normally the viruses and proteins have their antigens on the outside, like on their surface, right? And that's how these cells can help recognize them and everything. You can actually engineer viruses so that the parts on their surface don't belong to them, but belong to some other virus. Yeah, we've talked about this in different contexts, haven't we? Probably. Yeah, it's like the coat or something. You gotta change mm -hmm. the coat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like if you know if like a guy's coat has a big face tattoo on it, okay, <laughs> but you put that coat on someone else, then the assassin's gonna get that guy. 
Right, yeah, sure. It's like when you're in a motorcycle gang, you have your patch. Right. But what if you put on somebody else's patch and then commit crimes? That was a really now weird... Now you That was a GTA 3 spinoff, The Lost and the Damned. Oh, yeah? I didn't get far through that one. I thought I you were going to talk about the FX show. Oh, Mayans. Yes, and it being a spinoff of Whatchamafuckit. That's a weird name. <laughs> no, that, what, what was that other show? Uh, it's Always Sunny? Nope. All right. So <laughs> the point is, hey... What if we took a virus that is not dangerous for humans at all? Sons like a, of Anarchy. Yes, good job. Like a virus, <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a virus that infects some totally different kind of animal, like an insect. And then we engineer that virus so that the surface has antigens from something that does infect people, like Zika virus or chikungunya or something like that. Say that again? Chikungunya. Wait, say that five times fast. Chikungunya, chikungunya, chikungunya. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Um, Okay, so some scientists in Australia, your favorite place, have found a virus that infects mosquitoes, but not humans. Okay? That's cool. But this virus is in the same kind of family as like Zika and Dengue. And you can take this virus and swap out chunks of its surface with Dengue or with Zika. Okay. And when they do that, it still can't infect humans. They found, they put it on human cells. It can't do anything to human cells. It still can infect insect cells. But when you put it inside with human sort of immune cells, the immune cells can have a reaction to it. So wait, could you take that, infect a mosquito population with it, and have the mosquitoes immunize people? Whoa. So I I thought you were going to say, just give mosquitoes AIDS, and then they die (laughs) off. But I like that better. That's a whole other thing. (laughs) That's a whole other thing. Um, I think the main issue is whether you're getting a big enough dose Mm. for effective immunity from just a mosquito bite. Um, You might need a higher titer than that. Or like a whole lot of mosquitoes. Because I was thinking we could just bypass all these anti-vaxxers and just have the mosquitoes. Oh my God, that's so funny. Or like like you just get like six people in a room and they just like throw in mosquitoes. (laughs) Like... (laughs) you're getting immune don't worry a robot walks in opens its mouth and just (laughs) now anger mosquitoes fire out of my nipples yeah (laughs) um but what it does mean since it still can infect insect cells is we actually have insect cell lines that we can grow in the laboratory just vats of insect cells we can infect those (laughs) with the virus and then that's a way that we can make a shitload of that virus we can just like literally have a vat or like a flask in a lab somewhere producing shitloads of virus because the virus is just infecting these insect cells. So that's good for biological warfare, but where do we get to that being good for us? What? Talking about vaccines, you son of a bitch. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, so it would be sort of like a mix between a subunit and a live attenuated vaccine, right? It's kind of like this blend of those two. And it's pretty sweet. I think the idea here is that you can kind of hot swap a lot of different antigens in, which means you could hypothetically use it as kind of like a platform to develop a lot of vaccines all at once. Sure. You could grow it like you grow cranberries, dude, just skimming it off the top of a little vat. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. You know cranberries are grown in marshes, dude? What? Is that oh, real? You didn't know that? No. Dude, cranberries are like legit full-blown marsh plants. And so you look at like a photo of a cranberry farm, and it's just like a, a fucking mile of like floating red little balls. All right. I like that. So it's like that. It's correct. It's like you want to grow Zika. Yep. Like people grow cranberries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ocean spray. You nailed it. So so another kind of related idea is instead of using this virus that these Aussies found in a mosquito, right, is what if you just make a completely synthetic delivery vehicle? And this completely synthetic dude, 
you can shove whatever antigens you want on the surface, which means you can use it as a platform for any kind of vaccine you want. You can shove whatever adjuvants you want inside of it, but it'll still be around the size and the shape of a virus. Okay, so it'll still be kind of recognizable to your immune system. And so these would be nanoparticles. This would be, you know, kind of related to what I do research on, which is why I'm bringing it up, I guess. So basically you would make these platforms for which you could develop a bunch of different kinds of vaccines. And I think this is one of the places where earlier we were talking about this maybe competition for funding is that some people are like, give us funding to do this sort of build development platforms so that we can try to rapid prototype lots of different vaccines. And other people are like, we understand enough of the rules. We're like, we could try really hard to make specific vaccines, like give us money to make specific vaccines that we specifically need right now, right? And so this is, you know, a, a kind of small-ish disagreement in the field is other people want to build out kind of this larger capability that's easier to kind of hot swap between diseases. And that would be better for like random diseases that crop up like this new coronavirus, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if we had a system where we were really confident that we could kind of swap in whatever antigens we find, that would be very useful for this novel coronavirus because we have sequenced the entire genome of it. And we actually you know, have a pretty good idea of what all of its proteins and peptides and potential antigens look like. And yeah. you could kind of imagine if you had a really good high throughput system, you could just take all of those potential antigens, a bunch of potential adjuvants, mix and match, and just figure out the one that works best. Well, it seems like we should just fund the shit out of that. Well, you know who supported the vaccine moonshot? You better not. Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> <laughs> God. Well, fuck me. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, guys. On that note, I think that wraps it up for vaccines. Do we have any closing thoughts? Vaccines work. and Sometimes. And vaccines work pretty well. Only 100,000 times out of, out of... Wait, no. Only... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vaccines largely work, folks. Yeah, get In fucking fact, vaccinated. I'm not going to say largely. Vaccines work. Get vaccinated unless you're you know, immune to any weirdo stuff. Right, yeah. There are a few people, a small minority of people, who are unable to get vaccinated. And that's why fucking everyone else does need to get vaccinated so that our herd immunity to protect can, those people. can protect those fucking people. So guys, get vaccinated. Don't listen to Jenny McCarthy or Jim Carrey or whatever. Yeah. Get some vaccines. Yeah. And also get on our Patreon. Did that work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also get injected with our Patreon straight to the heart. Patreon.com slash Petri Dish. Uh, you can tweet at us at Dish Podcast. Email us at Petri Dish Pod at gmail.com. Patreon subscribers get a free experimental coronavirus vaccine. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. You get a corona. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> little, little thing attached to it. This is virus. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> Thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you to Andre for joining us on this episode or yeah. maybe a couple episodes. Yeah. And then Brian Allen for the artwork. Thank you to Sean. I just want you to know that you're a beloved brother of mine. Oh, wow. That was special. I felt pretty good. I like that. I'm going to touch your butt later. That's what you have. <laughs> <laughs> you pervert. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.